to the Rockcast. What type of weirdness is this? So glad you could join me. My name is Monty Colvin. I identify as a trans parent and my pronouns are who and where. And if you're confused by all that BS, don't worry. Sometimes I just like to say stuff like that to screw with people. It's called being a smartass. Anyway, thanks for downloading episode 261 because this is going to be a special episode. And why is it going to be special? Because most of this episode is going to be about you, the listening audience. That's right, you, the fans. Oh, wow. Oh, my. And you know who else is all about their fans? Taylor Swift. She just loves her fans. And I heard the other day that she's going to make a billion dollars this year on her tour. And it's all because of her fans and how much she loves her fans. So I figured, what the hell, maybe it'll work for me. So here we go with the fan appreciation episode of the Rockcast. It's going to be less of me and more of you. And so let's get it started with a question from one of you. And the first one is from Dan Singleton who said, Hey, Monty, how's it going? That is a brilliant question. Oh, well, thanks for asking, Dan. Well, it's going pretty good. Uh, We made it through the 4th of July. And I still have all my fingers because I did not blow them off shooting off fireworks. And that's mainly because I did not buy any fireworks. And I did not buy any fireworks because I think that's a waste of money. You see, I used to be married to someone who loved fireworks. And every year they would spend hundreds of dollars. Like the last year I was with them, they spent about 500 bucks. And I would just sit there thinking, this just seems so stupid. And as I would sit there watching, I would just see money going up into the air. Like $7. 60 bucks. And at the end of the night, there was black powder all over the driveway. And I would just think, wow, wasn't that fun. So, no, I don't get into all the fireworks anymore, but uh, seems like a lot of other people do. Because, man, they were shooting them off all around the neighborhood for days. And Alex has this big dog named Lulu, and fireworks absolutely scare her to death. And when we try to take her for a walk, she just freaks out. But then again, Lulu is pretty much scared of everything. And it's weird because she is huge. And she's got these great big vicious teeth, and she could literally kill a grown man. But she can hear a random sound on the TV and she will run and hide in the closet. On the other hand, Alex also has another dog who is a Jack Russell Terrier. And she's had him for 14 years and his name is Trio. And Trio looks about the size of a little pot-bellied rat. 
But unlike Lulu, Trio is not afraid of anything. Trio is always ready to take on other dogs, other humans. He seems to be incredibly offended if he sees a rabbit. And basically, nothing scares him or phases him. I think we could be in the middle of a tornado or a bomb could go off in the house. And he would just sit there calmly, stare at us and go, yeah, what? So Trio could care less about the 4th of July. Go ahead and shoot off your damn fireworks. He doesn't care. Now, as for me, yeah, you know, the 4th of July, not one of my favorite holidays, but I do love my country. I love America and I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. I think we've got some real idiots running it right now that are trying to destroy it, but I do love the United States and I'm proud to be an American. Why, what are you, right wing kook? All right, I've actually got a bunch of questions from you guys, so get ready for a lot of question and answer stuff. And the first one is from David Smith. And David is a great musician. He plays guitar and bass, and he also plays drums. And he's also the answer to a Galactic Cowboy trivia quiz. And the question is, there's only been four drummers to play with Galactic Cowboys. Of course, the one and main drummer was Alan Doss. We also had Eric Tatawaka play on a tour. And Jerry Gaskell from King's X played on the Let It Go album. Now, who was the only other guy? That would be David Smith. He played one show in Germany with us. Must have been around 98 or so. And David and I have been friends ever since. And his question to me is, Hey, Monty, when are we going to record some music? Well, yeah, David, we do need to do that. That sounds fun. We'll have to figure that out someday. Uh, David's wife, Leslie, also has a few questions. And she says, when you're writing a song, where does it start? A riff, a lyrical idea, a drum beat? Well, I've written songs all three of those ways. I've had a lot of songs start with a riff. For example, Stress, I'm Not Amused, uh, 9th of June, You Make Me Smile, uh, on and on. But there's also been a lot of times when I've had a lyrical idea that led to a melody. A lot of my crunchy songs start that way. The melody comes first and then I work from there. Uh, another question Leslie has was, if you could have dinner with anyone, living or not, who would it be and what would you have and why? Okay, well to eat, I would have uh, probably some Chicago style pizza, real thick and cheesy, or perhaps go to a Chinese buffet and just pig out. Those are both two of my favorites. Now, who would I have dinner with? Uh, this is kind of tough, but I know it's definitely gonna be an athlete. And it's gonna be a toss up between either one of the Colorado Avalanche players like Kale McCarr or Nathan McKinnon, or maybe Charlie Blackman from the Rockies. But somebody I thought of that would be totally amazing would be uh, Travis Kelsey from the Kansas City Chiefs. He seems like he'd be a really nice guy and just funny as hell. Now, if I did want to go the music route, I would say either Pete Townsend or Ted Nugent. With Ted, I could talk to him about politics or music. But with Pete, uh, that would be amazing, but I'd probably just sit there dumbfounded. 
I'd probably be so starstruck and uh, just in awe that I would probably sit there like an idiot and not say anything. That sounds about right. Okay, and Leslie had a third question, which was, if you could go back in time, what band and what tour would you go see? Okay, well, you'd think I'd probably say the Beatles, but from what I understand, uh, you couldn't hear what they were even playing because the girls were screaming so loud. So I'm going to go with Thin Lizzy. I've seen almost every band ever, but uh, I never got to see them. And if I could pick which tour, it would be on the Live and Dangerous with Scott Gorham and Robbo on guitars. However, the Black Rose Tour with Gary Moore would have been incredible. And the Thunder and Lightning Tour with John Sykes. That would have been amazing. I also never got to see uh, Queen with Freddie Mercury or uh, Metallica with Cliff Burton. And both of those would have been incredibly cool. All right, the next question is from Tim Cruz on Facebook. And he says, Your bass tone on the Awful Truth CD was so unique, at least to me. Was it inspired or built upon other players, and did you move away from it just because of the more aggressive sound of Galactic Cowboys? Okay, Tim, well, yeah, uh, you know, I've changed my bass sound just about every album I've ever played on. I've always experimented with different basses and different amps. But for that Awful Truth album, I was still kind of using the same sound that I was with the uh, Morgan Cryer band but I was just adding a little more distortion. And back then I was using two different basses. One was a four string Ibanez Roadstar and the other one was this old Kramer eight string. You can hear the eight string on a song called Higher, but a lot of that album was a four string and I think I had it hooked up to like a tube screamer. And yes, I used uh, varying degrees of distortion as time went on. But I think the main reason why you can hear the bass so clearly on the Awful Truth CD is that the guitar was uh, way different. Older King was using more of a Rockman sound and my bass was just able to cut through in the mix. Got another question here from Don Norwood. And Don says, how difficult is it arranging vocal harmonies? That's always been my favorite thing about your work with Galactic Cowboys and Crunchy. Well, Don, vocal harmonies are very, very difficult. And if you don't know what you're doing, it can be very, very bad. And my suggestion has always been just leave it to the professionals. You see, you not only have to come up with parts that work with each other, you have to remember them. Ooh. But if that doesn't work, uh, I would just keep singing along with the melody until you come up with something that sounds good. 
And that's pretty much it. It's not that difficult, is it? But seriously, Don, thanks so much. Uh, It's been something I've been doing since I was a kid. Both of my parents sang, and when we'd take long trips, we'd sit there and uh, harmonize the gospel songs. And when I was about 9 or 10 years old, I had this really high voice. I wish I still did. And speaking of parents, Deanna Russell had a question. She said, how did your dad and your Midwest upbringing influence your songwriting? Well, thanks for the question, Deanna. Uh, You know, my dad had a big influence on me in general. He was in the Air Force before I was born, and he was an entertainer. He'd do shows for the troops, and he would sing, and uh, he'd do little comedy skits. And wouldn't you know, I'd end up doing some of the same kind of things. Now, for a long time, he did not want me playing rock and roll or even listening to it. But when I got in Galactic Cowboys and he heard the vocal harmonies, he was all about it. He suddenly became a big fan and uh, he just loved what I did. But my dad was just my hero. Uh, He played basketball when he was in high school and so did I. He's the reason why I love sports and music and he also uh, kind of encouraged me to always try and stay humble. And I've tried to do that as much as possible. I want to treat people right. And I've tried to be a good person. Now, as far as songwriting, well, I used a line that he said to me once in a song. It was called Someone for Everyone. You might remember that. And another thing, uh, I'll be really honest here. My dad never liked the use of profanity, like in anything. And I think I only heard him cuss like one time. He got so mad at this one guy that uh, when the guy left, he went, That guy is an asshole. And I thought, whoa, dad, ah, you're human. But that was the only time I can remember. And so, you know, I knew he wouldn't like it in my music. So I kind of always tried to avoid it in my songwriting. But anyway, yeah, my dad influenced me a lot. Uh, yeah. All right, the next question is from Kevin Mark. And Kevin is a really good guy. He uh, commissioned me a couple of years ago to do a great big painting of King's X. And he's been very supportive. And uh, Kevin says, Hey, Monty, long-time listener, first-time question. Knowing how happy you are now, if you could do it all over again, would you change anything? And my answer is, oh, hell yeah. I hear these people say, I've had a great life and I wouldn't change a thing. I have no regrets. And that's great, but oh man, I have so many regrets. First of all, there are several people that I have met over the course of my life who I just wish I had never met. Like, there was this guy that I ran into at a mall in Kansas City. And it was one of those situations that was just so random. If I would have showed up five minutes earlier or five minutes later, one way or the other, I'd have never met him. And I didn't know him, but he knew who I was. And we started talking, and it turned out he played guitar, and we just started hanging out all the time. And even though we were friends for only less than a year, he is still, to this day, without a doubt, the biggest asshole I have ever met in my life. I mean, it's not even close. And if I could go back in time, I wish I could just have stayed home that night and never met him. 
But there's also things about myself that I wish I could go back and correct. Like with my first marriage, I was really young and immature and very selfish. And if I could give advice to any young couples in their 20s, it would be try not to be so self-centered. But I feel like I've changed a lot over the years and I guess that just comes with age and experience. But there's a lot of things I just regret about the way I used to be. And yes, I am very happy now and I guess Alex is the beneficiary of the new uh, kind of improved me. But you're still bad. And another question kind of along those same lines uh, and this is from my girlfriend Alex. And she asks, what would you tell a young Monty Colvin now about wanting to be in the music business? Well, that's a good question. And uh, I also have a lot of regrets concerning my music career. And probably the first thing I would say to myself is uh, don't get your hopes up too high. And most of the people in the music business are not really your friends. The only reason they care about you at all is if you are making them money. And as soon as it looks like you're not going to be making any money for them, then they are done with you. And the only exception I can think of to that would be Brian Slagle from Metal Blade. I still like Brian a lot, but uh, everybody else, they will cut you off and leave you for dead. Alright, you are bitter. And no, I'm not bitter. Yes, you are. Alright, another question from Alex is, why are manhole covers round? Oh, well Alex, first of all, I can't believe you would ask me that. I mean, seriously, manhole? Why not womanhole? I mean, I get it, most construction workers who would be climbing into a manhole would be men. But in this day and age, I'm frankly offended by the term manhole. And I feel like something like person hole would be more appropriate. Or perhaps a uh, ass hole. That's even better. Next question is from Skip Strong who says, Was there ever a gig you absolutely could not play due to an emergency or illness? He says, I got food poisoning on the way to a gig around 89 and laid in the green room throwing up in a garbage can. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I have a very similar story, Skip. Mine happened, I believe it was around 91. It was on one of our first tours, I think. And we played a show in Toledo, and after the gig, I got so incredibly sick that the next morning, uh, they had to take me to the emergency room. And we were supposed to play a gig in Cleveland that night, but I couldn't even make it. And I'm pretty sure it was the only time we ever canceled the show. But yeah, the food poisoning is absolutely horrible. All right, next question is from Jamie Roller, who says, Hey, Monty, we all know Alan Doss has the best snare work in rock, but what are the top three drummers of all time? Okay, well, if you're asking me who the best three drummers are of all time, uh, that's a hard one. But I'm going to say Neil Pernt, Mike Portnoy, and the third one, there's so many, but I'm going to go with Terry Bazio. I saw Jeff Beck live years ago, I think it was in the 90s. And Terry Bazio was playing drums, and you know how great Jeff Beck is, but all I could do was watch the drummer. He just absolutely blew my mind, so I'll put him at third. Now my favorite three drummers, I'm going to still go with Portnoy. 
That guy can play anything. He can play thrash, he can play like Ringo, and he plays all that unbelievable technical stuff. Number two, and I'm actually serious about this, he's somebody that you probably have never heard of, but his name is Alex Rodriguez, like the baseball player, except he is the drummer for a band called Seosin. And they're one of my favorite bands of all time, and he is one of my favorite drummers. But at number one, my favorite drummer of all time is Keith Moon. I still get goosebumps when I watch the old videos of The Who, and he is without a doubt my favorite. Now, the next two questions are kind of similar. Uh, one is from Joseph Glenn, who says, What new albums are you anticipating the most this year? And the other one is from Chris Branco, who asks, What are some new artists you're listening to and would recommend? Okay, well, as far as upcoming albums, looks like Seven Dust has something new coming in uh, July. And it looks like Udo has something coming out in late August. And I would be interested in hearing both of those. But as far as stuff I would recommend, uh, I've been listening to two things. One is the new one by Death Stars. It's called Everything Destroys You. Uh, it's kind of like uh, Rammstein, uh, that kind of vibe. And the other thing is a new album from Crash Karma. It's called Falling to Pieces. And if you've never heard of them, they are basically a guy and a girl that just completely kick ass. And this new one sounds like In Flames with James Hetfield and Gwen Stefani singing harmonies. And the songs are just fantastic. I love this album. And there's a really good chance that this is going to be my favorite CD of the year. Secret. 
Again, that's Crash Karma. Be sure to check them out. But now continuing on with questions from you, the listeners. And here's one from Sabrina Nelson, who asked me what my feelings are about bands who only have two original members in them and are still out there touring. Well, I can't criticize that too much because Galactic Cowboys did a tour where we only had Ben and I as uh, the original members. And people didn't really seem to mind that much. I know people would always prefer the original lineup, but sometimes guys just can't do it for one reason or the other, and you have to do what you can. So I guess I'm okay with it as long as there's a couple of the main guys that are still in the band. But when it gets down to like one guy and they're still using the name of the band, uh, that's when I start losing interest. For example, what's going on with Foreigner right now? I mean, I understand that Mick Jones wrote a lot of the songs and he's cool and all, but everyone else is just somebody that he hired, including the singer, and to me that's not Foreigner anymore. I feel the same way about Kansas, Uh, used to be one of my favorite bands. But if there's no Carrie Livgren, Steve Walsh, or Robbie Steinhardt, it's not Kansas to me. But the very worst example of this uh, was something I saw back in the early 90s. We had a practice room that was located above this club in Houston. It was called Backstage. And one day we showed up to practice and there was this small line of people outside waiting to get in the club. And I asked one of the people, uh, what's going on? And they said, uh, ELO's playing. And I said, Electric Light Orchestra is playing here? And they said, well, yeah, I mean, it's the original drummer. And once again, that does not cut it. If it's not Jeff Lynn, then it's not ELO. I'm sorry. Unacceptable! Sabrina had another question, which was, now that you're living in Colorado, do people get on you about supporting the Kansas City Chiefs? Uh, you know, not really. I still wear my Chiefs gear around and no one really has much to say. But, you know, the Chiefs have basically dominated the Denver Broncos for years now, so there's not a lot of room to trash talk. But that question from Sabrina would also tie into a question I got from Dan the Man Cunningham, who said, so now that you live in Colorado, how is the douchebaggery compared to Missouri? Uh, you know, Dan, I think there's douchebags no matter where you go. And I don't really get out that much anymore, but I will say that uh, I don't have a lot of complaints about the people of Colorado. The people at the post office are very nice to me when I'm there mailing off your orders for my paintings and prints. And almost every time I go to Walmart, someone will say, hey, I like your beard. So I would say overall here in Colorado, people are very nice. Uh, Except for that guy that lives in the apartment downstairs below us. He complains when Alex plays her drums and he can go screw himself. They're electronic drums, you pussy. If you can't handle a slight thump on your ceiling once in a while, go buy a pair of headphones. Yeah! Alright, here's an interesting question. It's from Phil Robinson. And Phil wants to know, what is your name, what is your quest, and what is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? Hmm, okay, well, you know, I'd have to take these one at a time. 
And let's knock out the easiest one first, which is what is my quest? Uh, rent money, obviously. Now, what is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? Well, Phil, I really can't answer that because you weren't specific as to whether you were talking about the African or European swallow. But your first question, what is my name? Well, you know it's Monty Colvin, but some people call me Tim. Ah! Okay, I have several questions now from Chad Tony. And the first one I'll answer is, what were the best improvements other band members made to your demos? And what were the best improvements you made to their demos? Well, I was really the only one doing demos most of the time. And a lot of times what ended up on the album was pretty close to what the demo was. But for the most part in Galactic, everyone would just bring in their songs to the practice room and we'd learn them and change things and work on them and that's what would end up on the album. Uh, another question Chad had for me was, what were the best and worst tours but only based on practical things like pay, tour bus, hotels, food, etc.? Okay, well I guess the best tours were the ones with the tour bus. Like when we were still on Geffen and we did the tour with Dream Theater, we had our own bus, we got per diem, and uh, it was pretty good. But the years before that, when I was traveling around in a van, uh, not as much fun. Like when I was touring with Morgan Cryer, Morgan would bring his wife and newborn baby along. And I understand why he'd want to do that, but every now and then the baby would fill up her diaper and the whole van would stink to high heaven and you'd be like, let me the hell out of here. But there was nowhere to go because you still had 10 hours to get to the next gig. This is a sick nightmare! Not to mention, when you're all in a van and you're squeezed up against each other, you know, you can get on each other's nerves. Plus, back in the 80s, there was nothing to do. No cell phones, no video games, no laptops. You just sat there and listened to your Walkman. And quite frankly, it's torturous. Another question from Chad Tony was, when you were with Geffen, what were the meetings like? Well, we never actually met David Geffen himself, but when we went out to LA to meet with the record company people, at first it was awesome. They were picking us up in limousines and we were staying at nice hotels and getting room service that they were paying for. And I was eating steak for every meal. And the Geffen offices were in this building that went all the way down the block. And you'd go in and there was gold and platinum albums hanging everywhere. And those MTV Moon Man statues were all over the place. And the people that worked there were just kissing our ass. Oh, you guys are so awesome. You're just great. We love your music. We've got all these plans. You're going to be huge. Now, that was on the first album. When we went out to do press for the second album, Space In Your Face, which was probably our best album ever, there was just a whole different vibe. Nobody acted like they gave a shit, and all they were really talking about now was Nirvana. It was, oh, those guys are so cool, their music is so great, we just love them. And before we left, and I'm not making this up, somebody came out and handed us Nirvana t-shirts. And within the year, we were dropped and uh, never heard from any of those people ever again. No one called and said, gee, I'm sorry it didn't work out, or I hope you guys are okay. Nothing. They were just cold, heartless, phony bastards. 
And you're left thinking, uh, gee, I thought they liked us. Uh, nope. And for the final Chad Tony question, uh, this is a really good one. Monty, we know you hate mandals, but have you tried socks and crocs for the ultimate in comfort and completely giving up? Well, Chad, no, I have not given up on myself or my dignity. And the only situation where you would ever see me wearing socks and crocs would be if I was dead and in a casket and someone had put those on my feet as a cruel final joke on me. And I hope that answers your question, Chad. <laughs> that's, that's comical. Okay, I've got a few questions from people asking me about different bands. First one is from Stephen McCormick, who wonders what I think of Halloween. Uh, you know what? I like them. I like them. I remember seeing them on the Headbangers Ball Tour back around, what was it, 89, 90? I think they were playing with Anthrax and Exodus. And I haven't seen them live since, but I have seen some video on YouTube of them playing live. And it looks like it would be a really good show. They've got this huge stage setup that looks like uh, they ought to be in arenas. And I know they're huge in Europe, but I would like to see them again sometime. Uh, let's see, next is Brian Walsby, who asked me, do you like the band Sloan? I discovered them during the pandemic. They seem right up your alley. You know, Brian, you would think so because they're very Beatlesque. But when it comes to bands like Jellyfish and stuff like that, I like them okay, but I just don't listen to them a lot. But I actually did buy a Sloan album maybe 16, 17 years ago. May have been longer, but uh, I saw them on that Much Music uh, channel. They played a lot of Canadian bands, and uh, I saw this video by Sloan, liked the song, and I bought the album. And I've heard stuff from them recently that's very beatly. And I think a lot of you guys that like Jellyfish would probably like them. But here's an older song that they did that I thought was pretty cool.
Next, I got a couple of questions from Paul Morgan, and the first one is, Hey, Monty, what's going on? Ah, well, good question, Paul. You know, on the last episode, I talked about my health. And since then, I decided when it comes to food I eat and my diet, uh, maybe I ought to tighten the screws a little bit. And I needed Alex's help with this, and so she started uh, fixing me some stuff that was, you know, low cholesterol, low sodium, started making more fish and healthy things like that. And I also just cut way back on the sugar. And surprisingly, after about two and a half weeks, I dropped about 11 pounds. And so it's not so much what's going on, it's what's coming off. And for me, it's been weight. And hopefully that'll continue. But outside of that, you know me, uh, I've been watching some TV. And of course, you know how much I love sports, but it's the summer and about all there is on TV is baseball. And unfortunately for me, my two favorite teams are the Colorado Rockies and the Kansas City Royals. And they both completely suck. I mean, they're both battling it out with the Oakland A's to be the worst team in baseball. And so sports-wise, I've had to try and find some alternatives. And the first thing I found was on YouTube, and it was the original broadcast of the 1971 All-Star Game. And I remember watching this game when I was a kid in Arizona. But what I didn't remember is how bad the broadcast was. But you know, it was the 70s. Uh, We didn't know any different. We were just happy if we got to see one game a week. But wow, you talk about the Hall of Famers that played in this game. It was like Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, Johnny Bench. And of course, my favorite player, probably of all time in baseball, Reggie Jackson. And the announcers were just cracking me up. It was Joe Gargiola and Tony Kubek. And early on in the game, Reggie Jackson comes up as a pinch hitter. And Joe Gargiola says, here's Reggie Jackson. Uh, He's a pretty good all-around player. But of course to me, calling Reggie Jackson pretty good is an insult. But he gets in the batter's box and he's facing Doc Ellis, who was probably doing acid or something like that at the time. And he fouls a couple of pitches off and all of a sudden he hits one that basically goes out of the stadium. It's still one of the most massive home runs I've ever seen. And so that was great, but then they go to a commercial and it's Tom Seaver and his wife and they're riding around in a car. And of course the acting is horrible and uh, she pulls into a gas station and a guy comes running out to pump her gas and she says, I'll take a dollar's worth please. And then the game comes back and uh, it's Willie McCovey at the plate. And he's just huge. He looks like he's about 6'7". And Kurt Gowdy says, yeah, Willie's having a pretty good year, but he's going to have knee surgery at the end of the season. And I thought, wow, you know, the players today, if they get as much as a blister on one of their fingers, they're going to be on the injured list for at least half the year. But, you know, watching that whole thing made me remember how much I miss the 70s. A lot of the music was great, and uh, you know, the players, maybe they weren't as good or talented, but at least they weren't so sickeningly arrogant. And I'm going to talk about him again, and I know you're going to say, yeah, we know you hate LeBron James, we get it. But I can't help it, because once again, the guy does something that just blows my mind. 
because the other night I sit down to watch Victor Wimbignana's first game as an NBA pro. He's seven foot six, he's from France, he's about 19 years old, and he's supposed to be the next great player. Like, the hype around this guy is just off the charts. And it's on ESPN, the arena's sold out, and everyone is talking about Victor. And you would think that maybe LeBron could let Victor just have his day in the sun and not be a distraction. But no, he comes walking in and sits down on the front row, and he's wearing a t-shirt that has a picture of himself with the phrase, The Chosen One. And it's like he was trying to tell everybody, yeah, don't forget about me, it's all about me. And I just thought, you know, this guy's unbelievable. I can't wait till he retires, but he's never going away. His ego will not allow it. But enough about sports. Uh, Alex and I also started watching a couple of series on HBO. And the first one is called Succession. And it's about this family of extremely rich people. And as a rule, I don't hate rich people. If you work your butt off and make a lot of money, more power to you. But I think this is the only show I can ever remember where I hate every single character on the entire series. I mean, they've got to be good actors in order for me to hate them as much as I do. But there's just nothing likable about any of these people. And so we started watching this other series called The Righteous Gemstones. And it's basically a comedy about televangelists. And they've obviously based a lot of it on Jim and Tammy Baker, and maybe even the Hillsong Empire. And kind of like I don't hate rich people in general, I don't hate Christians. There's a lot of great Christian people out there. But these phony ministers out there just ripping people off, uh, they kind of deserve the abuse. And so I find this show really funny, and we're really enjoying it. But the one drawback is that it's on HBO, which means they can have nudity. And I wouldn't usually complain a lot about that, but in this case, it's male nudity. No! Yeah. No! Yeah. And I don't mean you just occasionally see a guy's bare butt. We're talking full frontal male nudity, and there's a lot of penis. No, 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 no! And the reason I'm telling you this is because I feel the need to apologize to all women. Because after watching this show, it made me realize just how repulsive the male naked body is. And for anybody who thinks there's no difference between men and women, well, just watch Righteous Gemstones. Speaking for myself, not only did I see a difference, I never want to see another penis ever again, including my own. No one wants that. All right, Paul, so I hope that answers your question as to what's going on. But Paul had a second question, which was Monty, multi-string basses, 12 verse 8 verse 4, compare and contrast. Okay, well, I like all of them, and I used to use the 12 verse a lot. But as time went on, I kind of leaned more toward the eight strings. For me, they're a little tighter sound, and they're easier for me to play. But these days, honestly, I use four strings more than anything. You find these things interesting? Moving right along, Cole Woodard had a question about effects pedals. Admittedly, not very interesting. And on a personal note, Cole has helped keep me alive this year. He commissioned me to do a painting for him, and he's bought some of my prints, and God bless him. 
But Cole's question is, reflecting back in your musical development, what was the first effect pedal you owned or used or loved? Well, back in the 80s when I was playing in one of my first bands and I was playing guitar and all I used was a chorus pedal. And I think now, why didn't I get a delay? But nope, that's all I used. And then when I started playing bass, I started using one of those tube screamers. And that gave me a little edge to my sound. But as the years went on, I started adding compressor pedals. I had noise gates. I had a Metal Master distortion pedal. And before long, I had this pedal board with chords going all over the place. And that's when I started having all kinds of technical issues. And when that started happening, I eventually got rid of everything except one distortion pedal. And all I do with that is kick it on when I do one of my crazy bass solos. Absolutely fascinating. Now, staying on the subject of music equipment, Matt and KC asked me what body style of guitar I like and what's my favorite guitar maker. And I would have to say that nothing looks as cool as a Gibson Les Paul. For me, it goes back to when I saw the cover of Frampton Comes Alive and Peter Frampton's playing that black Les Paul. It literally made me want to play guitar. And by the way, I did a really cool painting of Peter Frampton, and uh, you can find that on my website, montycolvinart.com. But yeah, I love the Les Paul, and I also like the body shape of the Explorer. Back in the 80s when Hetfield was playing those, he looked so freaking cool. And thank you for the question, Matt. Uh, Bob Gross had a question for me. And I'm assuming this is not the small forward for the Portland Trailblazers from the 70s. But this Bob Gross wanted me to tell him what my favorite amp and guitar strings are. He says, do you like Diodario strings and a Marshall amp or do you like a Vox amp? Well, no, I've never owned a Vox amp because I'm way too metal. And I do love Marshalls, but the amp that I have now is a Mesa Boogie. I'm a distortion freak, and the boogies will rip your face right off. As far as strings, I've tried just about everything, but the ones I usually end up going with are the GHS Boomers. Since I don't have an endorsement anymore with Ernie Ball or anyone else, uh, the Boomers are affordable, and they have a nice ring to them for about one gig. So I have to change strings every show I play, but uh, I have to do that regardless of what I use. Amazing info. Okay, well, it doesn't look like I'm going to get to all the questions that I had, but I will try to do that on future episodes. And in the meantime, if you have a question you'd like to ask me about anything, feel free to message me. I'm on Facebook, and you can also reach me on my website, montycalvinart.com. Speaking of which, thanks to Jay Key, Sabrina Nelson, and Patrick Edmonds for ordering prints. Also, Todd Burns for buying some Galactic Cowboy prints. And a huge thank you to Jerry Gilbert for buying my Neil Pernt portrait. And thank you to Ed Whelan for ordering the print of that Neil Pernt painting. And a special thank you to Donovan England for buying my tribute painting of Vinnie Paul. You guys are seriously keeping me alive, and I really appreciate it. Okay, final question, and this comes from Dano Harrington. And Dano says, Why do some great people in the music industry feel the need to dabble in politics? 
Why do they feel the need to engage in political debate, activism, and partisanship when all we want from them is the art and the gift of music? We already have the insanity of politicians. Well, Dano, great question, and I think I'm going to have to answer this with my old man voice. <clears throat> you know, Dano, I agree. Why the hell do these rock stars think they can shoot their mouths off about politics? All these young whippersnappers with their electric twangers and their get fiddles, they just all need to shut the hell up. If it were me, I'd censor all of them. Back in my day, you didn't question anything and you just did what you were told. Don't try to tell me that Fauci didn't know what he was talking about. I got vaccinated and I liked it. Everyone knows that Tucker Carlson is full of poppycock. And I'm fine with wearing a damn mask for the rest of my life. I don't care who you voted for or if you think Biden is a lying SOB. I say just go play your damn music and stop trying to turn me into a MAGA hat wearing, Trump loving white supremacist. <clears throat> okay. It's a, it's a comedy skit. Well, that's going to do it. Thank you to everyone for your questions and thank you for listening. I'm going to take you out with another song off that new Crash Karma album. And it may just crush your skull. And if it does, I'm sorry, but that's just the way I roll. And I will be back soon with more fun and mayhem. But until then, this has been Monty saying take care. Don't let anyone tell you what to like, unless it's me. And rock on.
This has been Monty's Rockcast. The end.